Shop Talk Live, episode number 216. End of May 2020. Woodworkers are not the only ones walking around with face masks these days, and I think it's a wonderful thing. So, everybody, please be safe and diligent out there. This episode, I am joined by Mike Pekovich and Anissa Capsalis. Some of you may have noticed last week we did not have a bonus episode. I just couldn't get something together in time and started freaking out about it, and that didn't help anything. So Tom decided for me that we're going to do the bonus episodes as they come. Find Woodworking subscribers. Be on the lookout at the end of May, early June. Check your mailboxes. Issue number 283 should be in there. We've got Bob Van Dyke, Christian Bexford, Craig Thibodeau, Chris Schwarz, Dave Fisher, Aspen Golan, and Charlie Durfee. Turns out Charlie Durfee and Chris Bexford listened to this podcast. So, okay. All right. We're going to have a brief word from our sponsors, then Mike, Anissa, and myself. We'll take it away. As a Shop Talk Live listener, you know that if a project is worth doing, it's worth doing right. Pony Jorgensen takes the same pride in crafting their clamps as you do in crafting your furniture. Pony Jorgensen clamps are made using only the highest quality materials, and they inspect each one to guarantee consistency and performance. Head on over to PonyJorgensen.com to explore their wide range of pipe clamps, bar clamps, hand clamps, and one of my all-time favorite tools of all time, wooden hand screws. Pony Jorgensen, makers of clamps without compromise since 1903. Question number one is from Jeff. I've always been a creature of habit and routine. Some of my routines to start, some have routines to start their day, warm up at the gym or prepare for bed. Am I weird for having a warm up routine in the shop? I'll usually start with a small clean and organization of anything. Of any, my script changed it to mything out the place somehow. Yes. <laughs> of, yeah, about that. And an organization of anything out of place. Yeah. Then maybe read an article or watch a YouTube video about woodworking or tools. Then I'll sometimes make a few cuts on scrap using either hand or power tools. Then begin working on the task of the day. Am I crazy or do you find some validity in this practice? Does anyone there have a shop warm up? That is exactly my routine before I actually start doing computer work in the morning. <laughs> Make a few cuts on a power. Yeah, <laughs> watch a few YouTube videos, yeah, yeah. you know, clean up a little bit, <laughs> put some pants on, you know. <laughs> uh, it sounds like um he has a lot of time to spend in the shop. That's my guess. Because you're not going to spend, if you have like 15 minutes to cut some 10 inch shoulders, that might be a little bit much, but I'm thinking if you've got all day out there and you're going out there every day and you just need to sort of get geared up, I think whatever it takes, that's cool. I've, my routine is super short, but it still entails putting my apron on, um, getting the music playing and then sort of, you know, jumping into it. But I do think some sort of starting ritual just to sort of mentally separate your, your time in the shop from your time out of the shop is a really cool thing. And I think the more time you have to spend in there, I think the more time you can spend on your routine. So that's cool. I I do start with a little tidy up, which is odd because I finish with a little tidy up too. Oh. 
So obviously I'm leaving something behind. Um, yeah. Apron, uh, tidy up music. And then I will just stare at my workbench for a minute and try and figure out what, especially now I'm, I'm getting more consistent time. So I, I'm not spending all day thinking about what I'm going to do. Uh, sometimes it'll be just like, Oh, I've got half an hour head out to the shop. Oh, I didn't really mentally prepare for this. What am I going to do mm-hmm. right now? Um, but I really wish that I did that whole, like cut a dovetail before your shop time today or, or whatever. That would be nice. Yeah. I could never, ever have the patience to do that and not have it be like a part of a project I'm actually making. That would kill me. Yeah. That'd be like practicing scales on my guitar before I picked it up and started but playing. That's stuff. how you become a really good guitar yeah. player. Mark. Uh, yes. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I see. That's weird. I like practicing scales. Anissa, are you getting out in the shop on a regular basis these days? No. Mm-mm. Wow. No, okay. you would think that I would be, but yeah. I'm not. Wow. No. By the time we get finished with the school and work day, it's more about trying to get out and run my kids like a pack of wild dogs. Wow. And get their energy out. How, um, how is the homeschool thing going? Um, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling Ben, one of my kids is really self-motivated and, and, um, on it. Uh-huh. And the other one is a little more dreamy. Well, I was telling Ben and Jeff yeah. and the other one's just a little more work, but that, you know, there's, there's one meltdown per day. One of us, usually me. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you looking forward to quote unquote summer where they're not in school or are you just never going to tell them that school ended? So you can always have <laughs> That's them doing what I'm things. thinking about. No, I'm looking forward to it because I'm really trying to keep them on task. And it, that's a lot of work. Sure. I think if they can have a little more freedom yeah, um, to just go and roam, they're a little bit older so they can have a little more freedom outside the, uh, the house. Yeah. Like, um, so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that cool. because I am trying to keep them on what the teachers are telling them they, they're supposed to do. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, but as for the routine, I like the idea of a morning routine in the shop um, or anywhere. Like I think just that warm up period and transitioning that way is really good. That said, I don't really have that luxury. So, but if I did in the ideal world, I would be go in my shop and do something other than look around at the mess and just walk out <laughs> and not do anything. Yeah. What about, I really, what about when you were at Krenov school and you were doing it more full time? Like it was, oh. it was your primary life focus. Right. That's a, that's a good question. Yeah. There was, there was actually a routine there. Um, you know, you would come in, you would start to get settled. You always ended the day cleaning up um, um, as a group in the, in the bench room and the machine room. Um, you were free to leave your bench as you wanted to, but you know, in, in the morning you would come in, you had to be there by a certain time. There would be some sort of a lecture and then you would get started. And that was, I believe routine is really good for people in general. 
um, and you know, you were, there was a certain lunchtime and then you had to get back. And within that you had freedom to, you know, walk about and go to the bathroom or whatever you needed to do. But there was a, there was a set routine and that really helped get you, get you in the mood to work and get you kind of just in that headspace. So it's a good thing. I'm just not disciplined enough, I guess, or my life isn't conducive to it right now. I used to have, um, and it was, it was one reason why I had to change careers. There was like a three hour period where I would get ramped up into a creative space. And when, when my son came along, I no longer had three hour windows to get ramped up before you could work. (laughs) It was like, crap, I have half an hour. I have to work right now. And I really miss that freedom of just like wandering around a room. Like I, I used to have paper on, on a wall and I would just wander around a room and like listen to music and whatever, and just write ideas on the wall. And it was, you know, it was very hippy dippy, but it, that's how I processed the day. I, I couldn't just turn it on. And I think that if, if I was a full-time woodworker or, you know, if, if this was my primary focus, I would definitely wind up back in that, that kind of routine where you go out to the shop at eight, but don't expect to do anything but before 10. It's just, it just, just the way that my mind works. Yeah. Which is why I'm really bad in the office. <laughs> I was uh, talking to Kelly Mailer, who was a uh, runs the school and was the author for the magazine, a really great woodworker. I was talking with him, and I said, "You know, Kelly, how do you go about working really efficiently? So if you have two hours, you can go into the shop and get something done." And he just looked at me and said, two hours." It takes me two hours to figure out what I want to do in the shop. Yeah. And that's, I think that's that whole, you know, time schedule sort of thing. It's a whole different reality. Well, but then you like in your book, Mike, uh-huh. you, you bring up mm-hmm. that whole using your time driving or, you know, to, to mentally get yourself in, in that space. Yeah. I mean, like literally like when I wake up in the morning, I'm, the first thing I'm thinking is what I want to do in the shop, how early I need to wake up in order to get that done and how late I'm going to be going to work in order to get that done. <laughs> so I do all of that mental calculus. Yeah. Way before I get into the shop, same thing for lunch. I there's rarely a time I'm heading to the shop without, without a task at hand that I want to accomplish, you know, unless it's a complete mess and I know I just need to go spend some time cleaning. And that's when I, do what Anissa does, go out, look at a, a dirty shop, and then just turn around and walk back out. So. <laughs> I have a feeling I do it way more than you do. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, I think that I'm not skilled enough to always know exactly what the next step is hmm. in a project. And I'm actually right now building a, um, a ukulele kit for Barry's brother. Oh, wow. And um, it's nice because there is directions and steps. And it's like, oh, I did that. What do I do next? Flip the page. And it's like, oh, okay. This is what I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it to the T to the directions, you know, Um, just for the experience. And um, it's really, I guess that's why sometimes 
people need to have a set of plans in front of them to build something or an article to follow or a video with notes. And, you know, I totally understand that from time to time. It's really nice having something. And, and because of that, I can come out here and go flip the page. What's the next step? I see. Get to work. I see. You know, sometimes I'm just going, what the hell do I do next? If I do that and then I can't do this, if I do, you know, and that, that mentally just throws me for a loop. And I, I, maybe I should use my time outside of the shop for, for figuring that out. Cool. But, um, all right, let's see. Question number two is from Matt. I've managed to get by without a table saw for a number of years, but now I'm considering buying one. I was wondering what additional equipment I need to budget for what you would consider essential items. Uh, outfeed table, miter gauge, crosscut sled, dado stack, blades, zero clearance inserts, push pads, feather boards, etc. It seems like there's an endless array of accessories that one can buy. Which are your favorites? That's such a big question. And I would say mm-hmm. probably, I don't know, half or more than half of the stuff you need for your table saw, you're going to end up making yourself instead yeah. of buying. You don't want to buy a crosscut sled. You don't want to buy an outfeed table. You want to buy a dado blade. Um, you no, want to make I, your, I make my own. You want to make your own push sticks. <laughs> um, we've been putting together um, collections of articles called staff picks or something like that on our website. And they're basically curated articles on a certain subject matter. I don't know. Have we done stuff like just table saw crap? Well, we're going to have oh, to now, I Mike. So. Uh, the, Can that be the title too? Yeah. Table saw crap? Yeah. <laughs> because the, the uh, one reason I'm asking this is because I just had an email from um, a person who bought their very first bandsaw. Like they're getting into woodworking. I bought my Laguna 1412 and it's super cool. And it was kind of like, okay, what do I do with it? And you can't answer that in a sentence. Like you really need to read about 15 different articles from Brian Boggs to Michael Fortune to Raleigh Johnson to John White to talk about blades and drift and run out and resaw and all that kind of stuff. So we need a collection of articles on that too. Well, okay. So um, we, Barry, Tom and I have been talking about a collection of articles. So you just bought a table saw. There you go. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> and and have that 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 list. Um yeah. and so you just bought a bandsaw. Uh those are the only two we we came up with so far. Um but yeah, we <laughs> we Barry did assemble a collection of table saw jigs, which is not published yet. I'll make sure it is published before this episode airs, Mike. Yeah. Um so yeah. However, my favorite tool of all time for the week that we're going to talk about later ties into this exactly, but I'll save it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so his, his list is pretty good of things you will need. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. outfeed table yeah. is number one. Out, outfeed table make. Yeah. Some sort of outfeed support. You got to have it. And that table can be has always been for me probably one of the most useful surfaces in my entire shop. I mean, if you it's, only it's, have it's your workbench that yeah. we film at, yeah. 
yeah, if you only have room, you have your super small shop, you have a table saw and you only have like room for just one workbench, make your outfeed table a workbench. Kelly Dutton did an awesome article for us on super simple um, kind of work workbench slash outfeed table. I would definitely make that. Yeah, agree. So um, I, I actually bought, when I got my table saw, um, my saw stop, they offer this tiny little outfeed table. And when I was, when I was looking at the table saw, I ended up buying this little, it has like a Formica top on it, this little outfeed table, just because I thought, well, I'm going to get this in. I have to start moving on a project. I would rather just, it was very affordable. I would rather just buy this. And then when I have time, I'll make my outfeed table. Yeah. And I thought it's too small, but it will work for me to feed long stock through and it'll, it'll be perfect. I actually love it. I love the size of it. I love, um, being that, that it's not too big and it's super easy to install. It was very affordable. I probably won't end up making an outfit table now. Okay. I have not been able. There's nothing that I haven't been able to do with that tiny little outfeed table. Does that outfeed table, does it attach directly to the back of the saw? Yep. So if your yep. saw is on wheels and you have to move it around? That would stink, yeah. That would. But, but are you saying that you couldn't move it around with this outfeed table in place? Um, no, I, well, I never thought about that. I'd have to go and look at it, but I think you could. Yeah. Cause that is one option. I've never had a mobile table saw. I know a lot of people have to deal with that. And there are right. certain outfit tables that just sort of swing down. Yeah. You know, they kind of fold down at the back and they, yeah, no, uh, it's not one of those. Yeah. You know, in that case, you know, I guess you got to do what you have to do to fit your space, but, or okay, go, or I don't know. So saw stop has their own outfit table. There you go. Mm -hmm. Oh, Chris Bexford. He has the most down oh, and dirty right. outfit table. Yeah. Yes. It only has two two Great. legs on it. Yeah. And the other just kind yeah. of goes up onto that little support bar on the back of the the table saw table. That'd be cool. Yep. Yeah, yeah that is great. I don't think that functionally, other than having a horizontal surface, which is helpful, that an outfit table needs to be that big. And and you're confirming that, Anissa. I mean, a huge, I remember the Elfie table at the fine woodworking shop. That phenomenal. That was great. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> I was, that was really nice to stand on to get a photo too, oh. or, you know, <laughs> and that was everybody's glue up table as well. So yeah. 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 That was great. One, one thing that I would suggest buying for the table saw one other thing. Um, I like those infinity zero clearance yeah. um, with the, with the removable inserts. So you're just replacing that, that beveled, on, would you call it a bevel on both sides that insert that slides in and out? Yeah. 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 Those are really cool. I never, I've never had one. I keep meaning to get one and I just don't, but those are super neat. So I have a, like a stack of like five throat plates that, that Bob made you probably that Bob made me. So that's really cool. <laughs> but if you don't have a Bob, yes, yeah, I would probably get that. That's a really good um, I have a stack of five throw plates that Mike made for <laughs> for my, my table saw. Um, but I think I would get that infinity one. That's yeah. that's a nice 
That's a nice really have. Yeah. Um, what about miter gauge? Are you going to use the factory miter gauge or are you going to upgrade? <sighs> factory miter gauge is fine. Um, a trick I had, this actually came about because I do a lot of teaching and I bring little crosscut sleds for cutting dovetails or dados or something like that with me. And because the slots and table saws, even with the same brand and maker, um, they can vary enough to where if I brought a crosscut sled with bars attached to the bottom, more often than not, they're not going to fit that table saw. So I've been making basically crosscut sleds with no bars on the bottom. And and I just, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) uh, And I use a pair of miter gauges um, and just screw it to it. So um, I think that's a good option as, as well. (laughs) (laughs) so that's really neat because then it's super easy to make a crosscut sled it's just a u with either a piece of mdf or plywood base you know some stock for a infeed and outfeed fence and then just use your miter gauges and i'm actually going to be doing an article with anisa on just banging out a bunch of mini crosscut sleds using just miter gauges so that'll be coming out later in the year so so you're buying another miter gauge yeah. for that. But if you're using day-to-day your normal guy, not traveling, doing a bunch of the, – the stock miter gauge will get you by for a while, you're saying. No, I don't use that. I actually have another miter gauge. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have one of the – is it Incra miter gauges? Yeah. Because it has a sliding fence on it, and I like that sliding fence. I attach a sacrificial wooden fence to it. And then I'm able to little slide it right and left a little bit. So I have like a clean kerf to cut through. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's, it's fine. It's not mandatory, but you could also attach a piece of wood to it. You should be attaching a piece of wood to your regular miter gauge anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Same difference. Um, all right. Push pads and feather boards would finish out his list. Push pads. What are you doing? I'm making them. Me too. No, actually, push pads. I would go buy a grout float, the one with the red rubber bottom. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit weird, you know, because usually the plate is aluminum. I guess uh, I have a couple push pads um, that were made for me, and he just basically took the pads off of grout floats and glued them onto a nice little wooden push pad that he made. Mm-hmm. Uh, grout floats are fantastic, but regular um, push sticks, definitely make those yourself, you know, half inch or three-quarter inch plywood. Uh, do either of you use feather boards frequently? Yeah. You I'm, do? When? You, when? you, you do? I, I, was, I was surprised. Oh, yeah. Anissa. Yeah. What are you using them for? Um, whenever I want to keep some, whenever I need help keeping something against the fence or um, I'll do something if I need help keeping something down to the table on the fence. I can't, I can't think of a specific example. Uh, sp- right now. Oh, okay. All right. I, I don't know if you used them for a but specific I, thing, but yeah. Yeah. One example, have- um, like ripping uh, panel grooves and a lot of stock like door frame parts. Mm. And so you will have to push uh, the feather board, keeping it against the fence. So that groove is centered in your stock. Um, that's what you're talking about. Anissa. Yeah, but I'm also like even really long stuff. If I'm 
by myself in the shop and I have something really long and heavy, I'll use uh-huh. a featherboard to help me do run through that, uh-huh. run that through. Okay. Um, I've actually found I've been using my featherboards more at the bandsaw than hmm. for, for resawing. Um, and it's finicky, but for uh, it's just nice to have a little bit of extra pressure into the fence. Um, but so I, I rarely use them at the table saw now. But uh, I know Bob makes some feather boards. He's got a cool little thing where you just cut um, three or four kerfs into some plywood, um, and just. In opposing directions, yeah, and it kind of just makes a wooden spring, if you will. So, yeah, you could certainly make feather boards. Uh, I have what I, I I have one of those foam ones. That's if you're gonna buy a feather board, I love that foam one. I forget foam. what it's called. Um, I don't know. When okay. when when you're looking for feather boards, one's gonna be foam fingers, and it's it's oh, okay. the one that I like. Okay, but um. Let's see what else. So you got to buy a dado stack. If you're buying a saw stop, that means you have to buy a different cartridge. So yes. keep that in mind. And you yeah, can only the- use an eight inch dado stack. Yeah. Right. And buy two cartridges while you're at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's, I think that, that, that about sums up his list. Are there any other little uh, accoutrement you can think of? Um, you know, a lot of stuff you're going to be making crosscut sled. You can make tenon jigs that run on your fence. Oh, That's a good jig, thing yeah. to have. Um, a lot of, you know, different jigs you're going to be making if you're doing tapered legs on something. Um, Tapering jig. Yeah. Oh, your L fence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not an episode of Shop Talk Live without a mention of the L fence. Yeah. I mean, it can be super down and dirty, literally two pieces of wood, you know, screwed together in the shape of an L that you clamp to your um, uh, table saw rip fence, or you can do the Bob Van Dyke, you know, super duper fancy L fence, which um, we actually left out of the article on a super duper L fence. And it's, and the it's most, haunting us. And it's the most important thing about it um, because he had just done another article on L fences. You don't need to know all this, but it was just like, Oh, we don't want to be redundant. We'll leave that off. We'll run it as an online extra. And we never did. But we found all the we found all the materials for the online extra, and we looked at it. And we decided to make an article on it. So that's <laughs> yeah, soon um, to be available. If if anyone's wanting kind of an in between fancy dancy elephants, uh, Ben Brunick, Chalkstone Woodworking is making some. Um, if you're on Instagram, you follow you probably follow Ben Brunick, and uh, so if you want to support a a, a craftsman or a, a craftsperson and uh, get an elephant. That's a good way of, of getting one as well. Okay. Is he making them like for retail? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. He's, he's making them for purchase. Uh, it comes with the micro jig clamps and all of the, you know, just it, it you can just get to work with it. Good. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll post a bunch of links for this one. <laughs> Uh, it looks like it's time for our all-time favorite tool of all time for this week. Mike, does that segue <laughs> into yours? Perfectly, because I was just—I was just using it yesterday. 
Um, it's the kind of old school cast iron Delta tenoning jig. It looks like an uh, old Buick and it weighs like 50 pounds. It does look like a Buick. Yeah. <laughs> but there's so much mass to it. Um, it makes such smooth cuts. The clamp to, to hold the stock is really, really good. And because it doesn't adjust for angles, it doesn't have all these bells and whistles and tilting fences. Um, the fence, if it's not dead straight, which most of them are, you can easily shim it um, straight. And once it's straight, it's done. But um, it's just great. I've been, I was cutting a lot of tenons and I've been using, um, I've done, doing a lot more work using spacer. So my old technique is dado blade, table saw, lay the stock flat, make a cut, flip it, make the other cut. That's really great. I think it's really good in a home situation. In a school situation with 10 people going through the same process, different techniques, you can end up with a wide variety of tenon thicknesses using the dado blade, not to mention even if there's some minor variations in the thickness of your stock, that's going to throw you off as well. So I've been going more often than not, I go vertically with a tenon jig and make one cut I put a spacer in, which I've sized to the kerf of my table saw blade to give me, you know, a really standard size tenon. So in this case, I was uh, making a cut. I put a spacer in, I make another cut, and it gives me a really perfect, super smooth, clean, consistent half-inch tenon. Um, and it just makes life so much easier later on when it goes to fit everything because then you can dial in a super like perfectly snug fit and it's going to be really consistent. Whereas with the dado blade, I would tend to set it up for it's either going to fit super snug or it's going to be a little bit too big. Um, so that I always ended up using a shoulder plane to then tune every single tenon. But I find using a blade and a spacer vertically, there tends to be a, a lot less fine tuning that way. So ten and each. That's one of those uh proof positive that tools uh that using power tools does not mean you're taking skill and technique out of the equation. The fact that you can have ten people cut ten different tenon thicknesses yeah. on one table saw setup. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So so you know, the idea is that you know you need to be able to cut a mortise in a consistent way. So that means if you're routing your mortises or I have a hollow chisel mortise, which gives me a really accurate size mortise, then you can set up a way to cut super consistent tenons. And with that, if I have a tenon, which I can dial in exactly to my mortiser, then I can do double tenons by using a spacer block on my mortiser. And then using that spacer block in addition to my tenon spacer block at the table saw, and you're banging out double tenons, which fit perfectly right off the machine. And that I heard you like hard. spacer block. So we got you a spacer block for your spacer block. Yes. <laughs> so two spacer blocks, four cuts, and you have a, a double tenon, which um, if you're doing it any other way, can be a real nightmare to dial that in. Yeah. Super easy. Right on. Yeah. Nice segue. Into what? Well, into well from, oh, not, from not this here. one. This yeah. one is I mean, I just I just sent it off the rails, so don't yeah. worry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, this right now is a horrible segue. This just crashed and burned. So 
<laughs> Anissa, do you want to do you want to take that momentum, or or do you want to do you want to hand it over to me? I'm going to hand it over to you. Oh, okay, all right. Um, Since so, you gave me the option, <laughs> <laughs> I um I was trying to figure out what to do for all time favorite tool of all time for this week. And I really wanted to do spring clamps, but that was really lame. So I figured I wasn't going to, um, but they're kind of always spring clamps. Um, I, a long time ago, no, a long time ago, shortly ago, um, I got an artist palette knife or two and used them. I think I got this one, just a regular little artist palette knife. It's a Rickison or whatever. Um, is that the brand that comes with a beret? <laughs> I don't know. I can't keep track. I have too many berets. Um, it's made in Italy, Mike. Um, so no, <laughs> comes comes with a pizza. Uh, and I got it in New Haven. So there you go. Um, uh, so this one I got because Al Breed had one that he used all the time. If Al Breed uses something all the time, I should use it all the time. Absolutely. And he, uh, he uses them to clear plane shavings out of the mouth of plane, you know, planes. If a plane gets clogged up, he grabs his pallet knife and uses it to clear, clear out the shavings. That's what I've used this one for forever. Now that I'm starting to get into Luthery, uh, I find while watching YouTube videos of Luthiers and everything, they use them all the time for prying parts off of guitars and things like that. Hmm. So I got another one and it's just, I mean, they're, they're very similar. They're kind of goosenecked. Uh, and this one, I wound up a long time ago, putting a piece of 180 grit sandpaper. I think it's 180 grit on the back of it. And this sandpaper is going to stay on this palette knife forever because I use a palette knife with sandpaper on the back all the time Wow! for detail sanding, for getting into little corners, uh, to even just sand off a pencil mark that I don't want to leave there. Um, this I'm able to, it's got a, a point to it. I'm able to get into a tight area. I can use the side of it for sanding longer areas against a guitar brace or something. Um, I use this thing just about every day and I didn't even think about it until today. Uh, so an artist palette, a gooseneck artist palette knife with a piece of sandpaper stuck to the back of it. That's super cool. Super thin and flexible, low profile. And you've got a handle. You've got really good control over it. You can just stick your finger on it to keep downward pressure. Yeah. It's, it's a, a highly detailed sanding block. Wow. I totally could have used that. Um, I just finished up a commission. It was a little cabinet on stand. There's a door with a Kumiko panel. Normally I just sand the panels flat, call it good, but I wanted to go in and just do just a really light chamfer on the edges of all the Kumiko pieces in this design. Oh, <laughs> And so I made a push stick, maybe like a piece of stock, a quarter inch wide by maybe a 16th of an inch thick. And I still had to bevel the sides to fit into the corners. If I had like a little pointy palette knife with sandpaper, that would have been perfect. Yeah. So cool. That's great. That's a, Super awesome idea. Are you using self-adhesive sandpaper? Yeah, I uh, years ago, years ago, I mean, probably seven or eight years ago, I bought 
no, I got them for Christmas. It was like the, it was, you know, the Amazon wish list. This is what I want to buy, but I don't feel like spending the money on it thing. I bought sticky back sandpaper for like three or four rolls. I think three twenty to one twenty, and they've, I just now ran out of one twenty. Um, so a roll of sticky back sandpaper lasts a really long time. So it's a worthwhile purchase for everyone who's on the fence about it. And yeah, so this is 180 sticky back because my 120 is out. What brand then, of uh, sticky back sandpaper do you like? Uh, I was getting the Porter Cable oh. brand. I think they manufactured sticky back sandpaper for a long time because they had a little. It's like a little handheld detail sander. Oh yeah, with um, rubber sanding cons that stuck onto it. So they sold sticky back to go with it. And that's what I got. Cause that's what I found at the time. Cool. So when the sandpaper wears out, can you just peel that off the, the metal back and yeah, I'm sure I'll just heat it up with a uh, heat gun or something. That's what I was asking because the, um, should I try and peel it off? Yeah, sure. Yeah. That would be exciting. Wait, we can't speak. Yeah. Live action. Oh, Ooh. oh. Uh-huh. You know, I, I thought it was going to come off in one. one yeah. You know, the gold sandpaper, who was that? Is that 3M? Um, no. Klingspore? No. No, it's not Klingspore. It's either no. Norton or 3M. I think it's 3M. Is it 3M? Uh, they have rolls. Maybe. It's yellow adhesive back sandpaper rolls. That's super good, but it's really expensive. I ended up buying uh, rolls of Klingspore because it was a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. And the only difference I found, because I was using that by putting it on a glass for doing some like rough, there it is, man, doing some rough flattening oh, of uh, um, chisel backs or something like that. Yeah. I found the difference between the cling spore and the three M is that the three M was able to pull off without ripping up whereas the cling spore tended to tear a little bit. But I found that if you get like a little heat gun for like removing paint um, and use that nicely, you can soften up the adhesive enough to pull that off. Oh no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm trying to pull the stickiness off, I just, for anyone not watching the video, I just pulled the blade out of the handle. <laughs> so on air, I just broke my all-time favorite tool. I'll stick it back in with glue and it'll be fine. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> That's why you don't do that during yeah. the podcast. Uh, uh, I, the The... The Porter Cable sandpaper, which seems to be still available uh, via Amazon, I was going to buy it again just because it's what I know. Yeah. Um, uh, it. I, there are times I wish it stuck better, and there's times I wish it stuck less. So maybe it's 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 the my porridge is too hot, my porridge is too cold. Yeah, I, I might wait on that. Like I do the little Michael Fortune sanding sticks with the sandpaper on like little strips of MDF Yeah. for that. I just use spray cement and I've been a huge convert to um, double stick tape that we've been goofing around with. Yeah. I think I would be more apt to just use double stick tape in conjunction with a piece of sandpaper now than maybe investing in more sticky back sandpaper. I don't know. 
I don't know because there is a thickness to the double stick tape, and yeah, it is, and and that thickness is going to have some give to it. Not the stuff we've been using, though. That's why. What's what I didn't like about normal. Wait, which one do you have? Because we all have different ones that we're trying out. I don't we're know, supposed to all, be sharing them, but that's not happening. They're all white, so I have no <laughs> idea what brand they are anymore. I should have kept track. It's 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 the thickness of a normal piece of like just a regular masking okay. tape. You have intertape, I think. Yeah. So I don't. That's the best. Yeah, I don't find any difference at all. Um, all right. I mean, I don't feel any give at all. So. All right. There we go. All right, Anissa, what's your all-time favorite tool of all time for this week? So I, this morning, I took my coffee out and I went to look around my shop, and um, <clears throat> I came up with something that, no matter what I'm doing, it's always in my pocket. Um. Oh, I should have brought it. If you I should have brought it here phone. so I could <laughs> <laughs> I could run out and get it. It's always um, in my pocket. I don't have it. Well, when I'm out when I'm out there working, um it is um somewhat similar to what you're talking about that but it has a cork backing. It's a ruler that I've had for Forever. I don't remember not having this ruler. Even as a kid, I used it in school. It's a thin metal um, ruler that I got somewhere along the way. And um, it has a thin cork backing on it. And it starts at zero. Like there isn't that tiny little whatever. Why do they do that? Why do they have rulers that don't start at zero? To assure accuracy. It's easier to make. Because as they're chopping these things up and these and they, they get off, I think they're more accurate. Don't you? You do. I think they're less because you accurate. can. Well, because well, you just they're less know functional. It. I agree, Nisa. I like they're the way less functional. The yeah, I mean, you can't you have to pay attention to two sides. Well, okay, yeah, for an inside you measurement. You can, sure. Yeah. So this thing is super. It's super thin. That rubber backing um, or that cork backing really keeps it in place. And I use it for everything. I use it. Um, for like to measure the height of the saw blade a lot and because it the the lines are so perfect on it and it is it has to be at least 30 years old this thing I we need school. we need a, a a silo of this you know that okay this is, this is uh, yeah yeah it's probably widely available somewhere i just i've never had to get another one so i've just always had it and i use it constantly constantly and it's it's always either in my pocket on the table saw um, and I'm just constantly reaching for it. So, and should have brought it with me in here. <laughs> the only problem with using a really old rulers is that an inch 30 years ago was a little bit bigger than the inch today. So you got to keep real consistent with what you're measuring with. Otherwise you're going to get all mixed up. That's why two by fours are different than they were 30 years ago. Okay. So now I know you're joking. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff knew right away. Yeah, Anissa knew right away, and there's like no reaction whatsoever. So. <laughs> no, I knew. It's leaving I, hanging. I knew when, I was pretty sure when Jeff when Jeff cued me, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure, so I wasn't saying a thing. Right. <laughs> but a kilogram is not the same today as it was. 
Are they using like a different standard now? They so? are. They are using this. Yeah, there's, there's, I'll have to post a link to a Veritasium video there because the, the standards change. Yeah. It used to be like a real thing, but over time, something happens at a molecular level to that metal and yeah. it like loses like one atomic microgram <laughs> or something over a hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. This is what I watch at at night. I watch YouTube videos about the standard of kilogram being now tied to. I don't understand any of it for the record. (laughs) I just find it relaxing. Yeah. It's like the same thing. Like what's the reference for the exact time? Like what's the exact correct time? Now I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Just listen to Chicago. No, that well, early. Sh- oh, yeah, Jeff, come on, man. Now, 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 you outed me as as a as a closet super Chicago fan, or was that public knowledge? I think so. Okay, <laughs> early Chicago. All right, <clears throat> let's take a break. Regardless of your skill level in woodworking or home repair, you want a glue that you can trust, because a glue that doesn't work can ruin any project in a hurry. Fortunately, Tightbond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence. From interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp times, to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance, look to Tightbond, the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit tightbond.com, T-I-T-E-B-O-N-D.com. Question number three. <laughs> is from a different Matt. What is your preferred method of testing edge sharpness? Summer is coming and I don't want to walk around with shaven arms. Yeah. And the picture he sent in a picture, <laughs> was that his arm or his calf? I couldn't. I don't know. It was a really big picture and I didn't see the whole thing yeah. in the email. And, but either I way with the, you with think the, it was his leg. Oh, okay. I, yeah. <laughs> I edited the, the question and I should have said legs. Yeah, but I was, you know, with the manscaping, it's like all or nothing. You can't go patchy. That's rough. If you show up to the beach this summer, patchy, there's some serious social distancing going on there that you don't want. So um, I don't know. I don't do that. I don't, I, um, for chisels, I test it on the end grain of a piece of pine. I think that's like, do the you best really? Work. Yeah. You don't. I do. You should get it. You get done. Chi- you get done sharpening, and then go. Oh, where's my pine? I need to test the chance. When I you sh- you get to work. I know you. You when sharpen, I'm, and then you work. When I'm sharpening a bunch of chisels, if I'm teaching a Kumiko class, you're teaching, and that is when you have to be super sharp um, because you're paring the end grain of pine when you're doing Kumiko strips. And um, so if I'm sharpening a bunch, I don't want students to have problems. I will test those out on a piece of pine. So for two things, it should leave a really glassy surface, which is good. And then it shouldn't leave any little white scratches because that indicates nicks in the blade. Um, for me, for plain irons, you just have to test it. There's no way to know if you nailed your plain iron until you get it in. And if you're able to take a super thin, fluffy shaving, you did a good job. If it's little spaghetti strings, it means it's sharp, but there's some nicks. And if it only takes a heavy shaving, then it just means you're not sharp enough. Mm-hmm. Anissa? Um, well, I should start by saying I suck at sharpening. Um, it is also- 
<laughs> it's actually one of my goals is to get a lot better before we end up going back to the office. It's been my goal for a while. Um, but I would just start using it mm-hmm. because yeah. I'm always, I always end up disappointed with it not being sharp enough. Um, I had to figure out what, what the heck I'm doing or figure out something different than what I'm doing. Um, but I would just start using it. What about you? I, um, I used to take a, take some hair off or something like that. I haven't done that in a long time. Um, I, for a while did the test it on a fingernail bit, like just to see if it catches on the back of your fingernail. And I mean that, I think those things tell you that you are to a certain degree of sharp, but I don't think it's necessarily sharp enough at that point. That's, that's a parlor trick to me. Yeah. I think, I think until you. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I think until you take a, take a shaving or pair with a chisel or something like that, you don't know. And also I don't think hand planes. I'm a little nutso about sharpness. Um, but chisels, if it's, if it's taking wood off of the piece, I'm fine. If it's leaving white marks, I don't care. I just don't use the other side of that big chisel then or something. I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if there's a good way of testing. Like you said, Mike, you just got to take it to the work. Um, question number four is from Brad. Is there a jig to make the Ikea style joint for furniture that you would want to assemble and disassemble? Is there another type of joint that you would recommend for this application or, um, for that would, that would make sturdy furniture, but also make it easy to ship or for ease of transport. Um, John white, he did an article a while back using those sort of, you know, the, that kind of, what is that RTA fasteners where you have Mm -hmm. like the, the head with the little hex nut. And then you have that little barrel that goes in sideways he came up with a little jig that lets you drill that cross hole for the barrel and the vertical long hole for the bolt so that they line up together. So yeah, there's mm-hmm. definitely ways to do it. I haven't seen in woodworking catalogs or anything jigs specifically for that. My guess is there's gotta be. Woodpecker makes one. Um, and uh, I mean, so there's like a accessory kit for the domino. Um, would we consider that a jig? Cause it's, um, it's a little drilling. It, j- yeah. Same thing with the lamello, you know, the biscuit joiners. Yeah. There's a little biscuits and two halves with little hooks that, that let you sort oh, of yeah. put a panel on and push it down. Um, yeah. And isn't there some weird domino things where you put it together and use a magnet and to screw it oh, and it tightens up or something? Yeah. That's no, that's magic. Yeah. It isn't a domino. Um, it's something else. We, we see that at the woodworking, yeah. like at the AWF shows and stuff. Um, but would it be really like, unless you're doing it a lot, would it really be that difficult to just use a dowel jig and a reference mark to do these? I, I, if, I think sometimes yeah. they're called cross cross dowel. 
I'm going to say you're correct. I'm going to say, yeah, it's probably no big deal. You can figure out something. Maybe it's a pair of jigs. You throw down a line, the center line for alignment, both on the face and on the edge of the board and just align that up. And yeah, you can figure that out. That's no big deal. Um, and then also my, my wife's loom is put together with, it is just old school square nut, you know, hole drilled on one side, square nut and bolt, you know, through it. And, and if you've ever seen a weaving loom, these things take a thrashing, a lot of torquing, a lot of movement. Um, so if you're doing something like a workbench or a bed or anything like that, and you're worried about these bed bolt style assemblies or do they call them workbench bolts or whatever um, for the, I think uh, there's a name. I mean, there's just the regular bed bolts that yeah. come in a different couple different flavors. So that's, I mean, bed bolts, that's another method of, uh, of attaching things for, for transportability and knockdown. Right. And Veritas has, a traditional bed bolt has a square nut. Um, Veritas sells them. They're sort of barrel-shaped nuts, so you're drilling. You know, It's just a pair of holes, a long hole and then a cross hole, just like a regular knockdown fasteners, but just bigger in scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see a lot of those types of fasteners, like you said, on Ikea-style furniture and stuff, and the connotation might be that they're not strong. They're super, super strong. Yeah. I mean, probably just about every crib that's being sold today um, is put together with those and yeah, there's nothing wrong with them. I think just the look is, um, it looks like something that you bought at a store and put together, but in terms of strength, they're great. So if you're looking to make something without that look and have it be knocked down, what are the options? Hmm. I think it depends on what needs to be knocked down, you know, um, what about like wedge through tenon? Wedge, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, any sort of like frame construction, I think the options are more if you're dealing with something like a big box or case that needs to be knocked down. Maybe that could still be wedge tenons or something. That could be okay. I made a um, uh, drawboard joinery is really good for that. I would probably go drawboard joinery over wedge. Remember when you said I ruined the world with drawboard domino joints? Yes. <laughs> you didn't approve of those at all. <laughs> I, no, I think my mind was blown. I think I'm 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 going to say I'm fine with that. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you seemed very perturbed yeah. with the notion. <laughs> yeah, I was making some knockdown a, a knockdown um display for for katie's uh uh craft show thing that got canceled the day after i finished it um but yeah there was just some pegs that were drawboard and i left them long and she was able to just by flipping the piece over and pushing it on the floor assemble and disassemble and it was sturdy as as can be so the the peg had to be long so that it was able to go through from both sides um but um, another time I made, it was, I mean, a huge wall of bookcases for a friend that you just found ways of hiding screws. 
Yeah. You know, and it was able to break down. It was probably 12 feet wide, seven feet tall. Um, and I was just, I just found ways of cleverly hiding the fasteners with face frames that would be attached to a screw behind it or, or, you know, there's always ways around, around doing that. And that, that unit's been moved three or four times now and still sturdy as can be, he says. So is it, does it break down? Yeah, it broke down into six boxes. Okay. Um, and then a face frame went over each upright. So the, the boxes top and, and top and bottom were doweled together. And then you would, you would attach them to one another from behind, um, the unit and then pocket hole in the front. That's how they would keep from tipping or from falling off. And then when you put it together, the face frame had was basically an L or a T and would slide between each unit and then get a screw from the side to hold the face frame in. Um, it was fairly elaborate and, and very specific to its purpose, but I just think that there's always a way. Yeah. So there's this guy down the road from me selling these breakdown garden bed kits. And um, they're really smart, really super simple. Um, it's like a two by two by 10, something like that, two by eight. And there's a mortise on one side and a tenon and then just a, a wedge. And they're really beautiful. And I'm seeing them in everybody's yards. He's selling a, a bunch of them wow. or somebody online is selling them or something. But um, I, I did drive by and see his, like his for sale display and they're really nice garden raised garden bed kits. Very cool. It's wedged. Cool. Uh, that's, that's a lot of weight that's pulling on that joinery too. So yeah, but yeah. It, it's going to work. It's going to hold. All right. Let's see. Um, let's do, let's do a quick question. Number five. And I left out the uh, subject of this one and it should I shouldn't have, because the subject was tall people. Discuss. <laughs> uh, all right, so this one's from a different Jeff. My entire family is tall. I'm six foot seven. My wife is six foot three. And my adult daughter is six foot six. Expect an answer or we're going to come pay you a visit. <laughs> uh, what thoughts do you have in respect to modifying proportions that basically put furniture, such as dressers, chests, and uh, and pieces typically that have drawers near the floor at a more practical height. I'm looking for ideas of how to eliminate the low drawers in a piece without looking like Frankenstein. I'm looking forward to, I'm looking to start working on furniture for my daughter's place. And I'm leaning towards Mike Pekovich's aesthetic. Huh. Hmm. Um, in that case, you might want to look at a dresser I made for the magazine. It's in my book as well. Um, where instead of using solid sort of slab construction where, you know, the solid box, I use frame and panel construction for the sides. And what that allows you to do is that it allows you to extend the, you know, the styles of the side panels down. So basically turning them into legs. So basically it's, it's a method of making a chest of drawers on legs and you can make those legs as long as you want. I mean, that's, if you look at traditional low boys and high boys, those are all, that's, yeah. You know, that's yeah. sort of what it is. It's uh, 
So there's a lot of precedent for um, dressers on long legs, and I don't think you're going to have a problem. Um, I think a lot of shaker stuff I've seen built that way as well. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's a problem at all lifting it up just by making it um, more of a, a style with legs as opposed to a case with some sort of bracket base to it. Mm -hmm. So like a cabinet on a stand. Yeah, yeah. cabinet on a stand. That's an, yeah, another way to look at it. Yep. Just a dresser on stand. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was thinking about this and um, Graham Blackburn did a couple articles for us um, about scaling your furniture or not scaling your furniture, but um, sizing your furniture. Yeah. And he did, um, we actually added to one of his older articles for an SIP where he talked about how to size furniture for different body types. And then he did another article about uh, classic proportions so those two might be something he can um, he can look at to kind of get a sense of how to size things for different body types and um, how to keep the proportions to a pleasing pleasing way. Hmm. But M my question is, those drawers are useless to everyone. <laughs> Not just I was gonna, people. That's what, like <laughs> shorter people have to bend down for those yeah, drawers. Too. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm like five ten. But I still have to like get on my knees if something's down, you know, it's like that's yeah. that's just this is not a tall people problem. But Anissa, you're you're tall, so I didn't know if like you if you find that if you look at those drawers and go like, oh, those short people and their fancy drawers down there. Um, no, that's never crossed my mind. Oh, okay, good. Because they're bending down to get to the bottom <laughs> drawer too, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, and as I was reading this question, I thought, oh, he's going to talk about tables and chairs. Mm. And then nothing about tables mm -hmm. and chairs. Because to me, that would be the most cumbersome furniture sizing right. issues. Right? I, I think in, unless there's a, yeah, I'm sure it will. There's less so for chairs because when you're sitting down, it's, you know, the length of your limbs in terms of, so when you're sitting down, you're sort of taking not really, you're really taking into account the, the distance between your feet and your knees. Right? Okay. So as you sit down and there's not as much variation in tall versus short for that distance, there is going to be some, but not so much that it's going to, you know, cause oh, a big problem because the 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 it's torso length it's it's yeah it's all oh okay yeah so interesting um whereas if you're sometimes i mean yeah i guess on if you're super tall then your knees are gonna like stick up and bang into a table apron that would be good and if you're short kind of like my wife she's always just like swinging her legs whenever she sits in a chair but it's, it's really adorable. cute yeah it's really cute <laughs> um yeah, but look it up. There's some really good books on furniture sizing and ergonomics, like architectural standards for that. Um, I would definitely, and then, you know, mock-ups are great. You know, I think that's make it, use it, or, you know, just draw out a chest of drawer layout on a big piece of plywood and stick it up and just see if those are in the right place. Um, or do what Mike does and just have it in his cubicle and just... Whenever somebody walks by, he's staring at this piece of wood with yes. drawings all over it. Yeah. <laughs>
Uh, all right. <clears throat> Let's see. We've got a listener comment to read. This one is from Greg Stevens. This is a great publication from some expert woodworkers. They present topics in an accessible manner and are passionate about their work. If you think that a woodworking podcast should be about woodworking exclusively and never contain an irreverent off-topic joke, this podcast may not be for you. For the rest of you, it is recommended. Thank you for that, Greg. Uh, anybody have any recommendations? I have a, a YouTube, YouTube recommendation, and I would abstain from it normally, but Barry has started digging this YouTube channel. Uh, it's 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 a luthier who's generally doing guitar fixes, but it's super, super re- relaxing, and um, the guy is really, really smart. He actually used to work for Lee Valley. Um, it's this guy, uh, Ted Woodford, and his, his YouTube channel is T. Woodford with no... It's T W O O D F D. And, uh, I told Barry about it a while ago, or I posted on Instagram and Barry messaged me later on that day and said, I could watch guitar neck resets all day. It turns out. (laughs) And, uh, it's just really nice and relaxing. So check that out. I just watched a documentary. I think it was originally, uh, ran on PBS. I'm not sure. Um, it's a, it's on Netflix. It's a documentary about Bob Dylan. I think it's called No Way Home or something like that. Um, I was not, like, I wouldn't ever consider myself a Bob Dylan fan. I know of him. I know his songs. He was kind of before my time. So it wasn't like I wasn't in the right place at the right time to really be hooked into what he was doing. So I have definitely a general appreciation for what he's done. But the documentary was super cool. I learned a lot. And I've actually started to go back and listen to a lot more of his music and it's pretty good stuff. So um, if you had any curiosity at all, I think that would be cool. Cool. I started watching this, um, this reality TV show with my kids called win the wilderness. Oh, um, and they, I think it's a British show. Yeah. Well, I know it is. They take six couples, um, six English couples and they're all, competing to win this homestead um this older couple in alaska (laughs) (laughs) so it's twofold there's like this it's amazing this older couple in alaska they this guy staked out his claim like 30 or 40 years ago and they built the most amazing home like out way out in the wilderness and they built an airstrip and they had built a greenhouse and they built a little guest house and watching that aspect of it and the way they've had to live for the last 30, 40 years is incredible. But then so where's this couple going to live? Do you have to kill the couple or something? What is yeah, the- they're going to leave. They're, just, they're, they're older and they just, okay. they, they're going to, is that what the reaction was about? Well, I was just thinking, like, like the first couple to kill this other couple wins their stuff. <laughs> no, they're that kidding. sounds like so, a different type of show. It is a different type of show. Uh, yeah, I guess I should have led with this, this couple, this older couple, they're giving away to the winner, okay. um, the winning couple, they're their whole lifestyle and their land and their home. So there's the, the amazing build that they did over a course of 30 years. And then there's the other aspect of the show, which is the six couples varying degrees of um, 
capabilities for being out in the wilderness and, and being on their own. And then there's the you know, different ages. And so they're putting them through a lot of tests to see if they can, you know, make it out in that kind of lifestyle. And then the couple, we're only a couple episodes in, um, but then the couple is kind of, the older couple who's giving away the house is kind of evaluating them. And they have a couple people helping them evaluate them out in the field. Um, and so we're, we're, we've gotten hooked on that. And Okay. So it's, it's, it's British. So it's nice though, right? Is it like it, British yes. take off where they're Correct. nice to each other and it's not, yes. okay. American yes. style reality TV. Okay, good. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch yeah. it then. So, right. Uh, Jeff, do you have any recommendations? Uh, I have a, a documentary. I don't know the name of it. Um, just Anissa's reminded me of this guy goes into the Alaskan bush and builds a house and lives there. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, Richard Prenke. Yeah, I don't remember. I, mean, yeah. I haven't seen it in ages, but it's like amazing. Grizzly Adam. Um, in, into the wild. Yeah, it just, you know, like an axe and a handsaw and builds a house. And Yeah, like he, he, didn't, he didn't bring the handles for his gouges because that added weight to his pack. So, and he knew he could make the handles there. Yeah. Stuff like that. It was a good book, too. Uh, all right. Well, that's all for this episode of Shop Talk Live. If you have questions you'd like us to answer on the show, send them into shoptalkattaunton.com. If you're watching on YouTube, click that thumbs up button. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thank you for listening. How are you holding up, Mike? I'm uh, doing okay. I don't know what day it is, and I'm not wearing <laughs> pants, but other than that, I'm okay. <laughs> Jeff hit record for that one too. Good. <laughs> so, so that's different from when you're in the office, Hal? <laughs> he knows what day it is there. <laughs> <laughs>